the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. This was something that they did as they felt led and moved by the Lord to do so. The issue at hand here, the sin of Ananias and Sapphira was twofold. It was deception. They were deceiving the apostles. They made it look like they were doing something more than they actually were. So they're bringing all this money and they're saying, hey, we sold a piece of property and we've brought all of this to you. That's what they're doing. They're deceiving. They're making themselves look better than they actually were. And it wasn't that it would have been bad if they had only given half or a a tenth. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Acts. In Acts chapter 5, we encounter one of the most sobering events in all of Scripture. A couple named Ananias and Sapphira pretend to give God and His people all the profit, all the profit gained from the sale of their land. However, the Lord wasn't moved by their puffery and saw through their deception. To strike reverent fear in the lives of the church, God brought their lives to a swift end. In today's message, Pastor Gary teaches that Jesus desires purity and holiness in his house. We are also reminded by this story that God sees past outward ego and straight into the heart. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary for today's message from the book of Acts, chapter 5. This is a pretty radical chapter because uh, God is, um, well, I'm just going to tell you, first few verses here, God's going to kill a couple of people, all right? So it's, I mean, this is, this. he's, gonna, he's rolling Old Testament style in the first few verses of chapter 5. So take a look here and let's see what's going on and let's understand, you know, why would God do such a radical thing like this? Chapter 5 of Acts, verse 1 says, Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourselves some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. And when Ananias heard this, and notice this, he doesn't even get a chance to answer. When he heard this, he fell down and died. 
a great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Yeah, I bet it did. And then the young man came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. So let's pause there and understand what in the world is going on here where Ananias doesn't even have a chance to answer. And boom, God just kills him, just takes him right out. I mean, he is eating dust right like now. And by the way, it reminds me of this, of this joke because, you know, here, here it is. What a wonderful time to tell a joke. I mean, but, but um, you know, here just boom, he is dead. I mean, no warning, no nothing. Just it's all of a sudden. It is swift. It is decisive. So it reminds me of this story how this lady was going away on a business trip. And she left uh, the kids with her husband. And knowing that her husband probably needed a little bit of help, she called her mom in too. So grandma came and, and was staying with uh, with the husband and the kids while, while wife was away on a business trip. And while she was away, she called in, see how everybody was doing. And so she said, how are you doing, honey? He answered the phone. I'm doing fine. Well, how, how are the kids? They're doing fine. And, and she had a special cat that she loved. She said, how's the cat doing? How's Fluffy doing? He, he says, well, Fluffy died. And she, she's like shocked on the other end of the phone. She said, he, just, he, he died like that? Why, why couldn't you break the news to me more, a little more gently instead of so swift, so harsh? You know, you could have just told me, honey. You just got, I could have t- called the first day, how's the cat? You could have said, well, the cat's playing up on the roof. And then you, I could have called the next day, how's the cat? Oh, sorry, honey, the cat fell off the roof. And the next day I could have called, well, how's the cat recovering? I'm sorry, honey, the cat, the cat passed away. You could have just broken it in over a couple of days. He said, I'm, I'm so sorry, dear. You know, that's true. It's just so harsh to just say, the cat's dead. So then she says, well, how's mom doing? And he said, well, she's playing on the roof right now. <laughs> so, uh, so there's nothing gentle about this story. I mean, God is coming in swiftly. Boom, you are killed. You are dead. And Ananias has dropped dead here. And, uh, and the young men come in, wrap him up in a blanket, and, and then they bury him. Now, what in, what in the world is going on here? Well, let's read the other half because it happens to Mrs. Ananias too. And then, then we'll back up and talk about why this is. So verse 7, about three hours later, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. And Peter asked her, tell me. This is a setup here. He says, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. Can you imagine this? Peter already had called the pole bearers. Girl, why did you come stand at the house? Because when Sapphira gets here, she's going down in the same way. I just have a feeling. I mean, obviously, Peter's exercising the gift of discernment here. Because when he confronts Ananias, he says directly to him, why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? Peter knows by the gift of the Spirit, that's discernment of spirits. He has, a, or a word of wisdom, word of knowledge, you know, you can take your pick. But it's one of those gifts where Peter's looking right into the eyes of Ananias. He says, you're lying to the Lord. You've lied to the Holy Spirit. And so perhaps he already, by the same word of knowledge, knows that when Sapphira gets here, she's going down too. She comes in. Verse 1 told us, now a man named Ananias together with his wife Sapphira... And verse 2 says, with his wife's full knowledge. So she's in on this. And Peter asks her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? She says, yes. It's not true. She says, yes. 
She said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. And verse 10, at that moment, boom, she fell down at his feet and died. And then the young men came in. These poor young guys, it's like they're interns. Like, come on, we're going to train the young guys. Go ahead, bury some people. The young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Yeah, amen. Well, you say amen, but you know, I thank God for grace. Everybody's like, I want to, I want the church to be like the church of Acts. Really? <laughs> but amen to the fact that great fear sees the church. We'll talk about that in a moment. But here, what is going on here? Well, what's going on is at the end of chapter 3, it tells us, at the end of chapter 3, verse 32, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything that they had. Okay, and we talked about that. This is not going Bernie Sanders style, all right? That's not what it's talking about here. This is not socialism. They did it as a means of survival because the Jewish people who accepted Jesus as Messiah lost everything. Their families, their business, they were ostracized by their culture. And so they had to pool their resources in order to survive. That's what was happening here. It's chapter 4, verse 32 and, uh, and that I just read a moment ago. Chapter 4, verse 32 where they were one in mind, and, and nobody claimed any of his possessions was his own. So they, so they pooled all their resources. So what we have here in chapter 5 happening is that Ananias and Sapphira, part of the Christian community, they're Jews, but they believe in Jesus as Messiah. They bring the money that they had sold for a piece of property as part of helping each other, pooling their resources, and they lay it down at the apostles' feet. Now, the issue at hand here is not that they had to turn in 100% of the price that they got for the land. That was never required of them. All right? You know, the Bible says God loves a cheerful giver and that no one should give under compulsion. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. So God loves a cheerful giver. He wants us to give because we have a desire to worship him with our resources, not because we're obligated. They were not obligated to give 100% of the price that they got from their, the sale of their land. Because Peter even says, when he's talking to Ananias, back up in verse 4, didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? Okay, He didn't say, weren't you supposed to bring 100% of what you sold? This was something that they did as they felt led and moved by the Lord to do so. The issue at hand here, the sin of Ananias and Sapphira was twofold. It was deception. They were deceiving the apostles, they made it look like they were doing something more than they actually were. So they're bringing all this money and they're saying, hey, we sold a piece of property and we've brought all of this to you. That's what they're doing. They're deceiving. They're making themselves look better than they actually were. And it wasn't that it would have been bad if they had only given half or a, t- or a tenth. They, they just wanted the perception to be that they were really spiritual in what they were doing. So in that sense, the sin was deception. They deceived Peter and the apostles. But the other offense here was against God. So it was vertical and horizontal. Because Peter says here, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. You know, you've lied to God. Which, by the way, this is a proof text for those of you who like to study these kind of nuggets out of Scripture. Because he says in verse 3 that you have lied to the Holy Spirit... And, and then at the end of verse 4, he says, You have not lied to men, but to God. This is a proof text. 
meaning the Holy Spirit is God. How do we know the Holy Spirit is God? Because verse 3 compared to verse 4 shows us Peter uses it interchangeably. You've lied to the Holy Spirit. Why did you lie to God? So the Holy Spirit, Jesus, God, one God revealed in three persons. So when he confronts Ananias with this, now the other issue is he's not only, Ananias has not only deceived man, he's lied to God. He's lied to God because he's done something dishonest. And in so doing, he's lying to the Lord himself. And so for this reason here, he is killed by God. Now, Sapphira shows up, same kind of a thing happens. Peter tests her with a question. Of course, no doubt, had she been honest at this moment and said, well, i got to be honest with you, you know, we kept some money back, I, I think grace would have been extended here. I don't think she would have died. But she played the game with her husband. She deceived. She lied. Yeah, this is the whole price we got. No, in fact, you had kept some of it back. Uh, by the way, the word kept back in verse 2 is the Greek word nosphizomei, which means to misappropriate. It wasn't that they even kept it back. They just they misappropriated it. They didn't, they didn't treat properly and correctly in God's eyes and in the eyes of man with their resources. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't treat it properly, so they misappropriated it. She takes the bait. There wasn't a setup, but it's an honest opportunity for her to come clean. She doesn't. And she says, yeah, this is the whole price. And so she struck dead as well. Now, when you look at this story, then the next question becomes, okay, so those were the sins, deceit, and, uh, and lying. Why would God kill them over that? And why don't we see God doing that at other times uh, in the Bible? Um, you know, if this were a pattern, probably at the end of the service, all of you would be emptying out your wallets and purses at the back of the door, uh, you know, because who, want, who wants to be killed by God for withholding something and being dishonest like this? This is a radical thing. There's no question about it. This is not a pattern, though, okay? We are under grace, and we should be thankful for that. The, the reason why God is doing something so swift, so decisive, so drastic, so dramatic, is because the church is young, the early church is barely a few years old here. And God wants to, wants to send a strong message. And the message is, there's got to be purity in my house. There has to be purity in my house. G. Campbell Morgan said, the church pure is the church powerful. The church pure is the church powerful. And that if we're not pure in motive, intention, and action as a church... The, the church will not be powerful. It will not experience the grace and the goodness and the power of the Lord to be used for his purpose and for his glory. So the Lord is sending a strong message here. Uh, this is New Testament, New Covenant. They are under grace. But God is doing a unique thing here to send a strong message. I want purity in the church. I want purity in the church. And man, this, this should speak to us. God wants purity in his church. He wants men and women who take the word of God seriously. He wants men and women who will live according to the word of God and before God with integrity and conviction and character and purpose. He wants us to be men and women who live out the word of God and just don't give it lip service. He wants people who are on fire for the word of God and to live a life that exemplifies Christ in our culture. That's what he wants. And when, we, when, when, when the lying creeps in and the deception creeps in and immorality creeps in, we not only blow our witness, but we dishonor God. And right from the beginning, God says, I just want to set the tone here. I want everybody to know 
I don't like this kind of thing. It's lying and it's deception and my house needs to be pure. And what was the result of this? The result was they became aware of the fear of the Lord. It said twice. Look at verse 5. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. And it says it again after, after Sapphira dies. Verse 11, great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. And that word fear, you know, don't read that and think, well, that just means awesome reverence. It is the Greek word phobos. We get our English word phobia. It's, it's real fear. It's the fear of God. I've heard people sometimes talk about the fear of God and they just really candy coat it. They're just like, you know what? All it means is just have some genuine holy reverence for God. Well, that's part of it. But it, it means have a real fear that we serve an awesome, holy, righteous God and we should not so glibly go through life as to think that it's just okay to offend him and sin against him. He is a holy, righteous God, and there should be a healthy fear of God. Not a fear of God to the point where it paralyzes us and distances us from God, because then we, we think he's unapproachable. He's unapproachable. I mean, rather, he's approachable, and he's merciful, and his arms are extended to all of us because he loves us, but we should have a healthy fear of God. And if you do just a Bible study on the fear of the Lord... Man, it teaches us some stuff. I'm going to give you just five reasons why we need to have the fear of the Lord. Take it out of Psalms and Proverbs. Here they are. The fear of the Lord. And you can do, I mean, you could go on and on with a long list just through Psalms and Proverbs. But I'm going to give us five reasons why we should fear the Lord. Because it tells us, for example, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom in Psalm 111.10. Can anybody use a little bit more wisdom in this world? All right. So if we want wisdom, we need to fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. If we want to have more understanding and knowledge, you know, knowledge is the accumulation of information. Wisdom is the application. So this is beyond education. You know, God can give us and fill us with knowledge from above, and then he gives us the wisdom how to apply that knowledge. Because there's a lot of people with a lot of head knowledge, and they're really smart, but they don't have some common sense wisdom how to apply that. And, and, and yet I've, I've met some people. One of the men who was most influential in my life growing up when I first got saved was a man with a third grade education. Owned a gas station at, at, the, at the corner of Main Street in Thurmont, Maryland. But that man was one of the wisest men I'd ever met. He just, because when he got saved, he got radically saved, and then that man just dripped wisdom. And it just, he was, he was the kind of guy that you just wanted to sit around and just said the, the wisest thing. Not, not trying to be a, a wise guy, but just because, just because the Lord just used him and, and gave him so much wisdom. It also tells us in Proverbs 10, 27, that the fear of the Lord adds length to life. It tells us in Proverbs 16, 6, that the fear of the Lord helps a man avoid evil. I mean, isn't that true? When we have a healthy fear of God, we're not going to want to sin against him as much. It's kind of like if you had a healthy respect and fear of your parents growing up, I mean, it was a great deterrent to doing some bad stuff. If you knew your parents, you could get by with stuff and your parents didn't care, you probably ran wild. So having a good fear of God is a good deterrent to not wanting to sin against him. And then number five... The first part of the verse in Proverbs 22, 4 also says humility. Humility and the fear of the Lord brings wealth, honor, and life. So I'll just keep those up there if you're taking notes. Um, 
uh, through the rest of the Bible study. But, but what we see happening in the church here is they, they got a good healthy dose of the fear of the Lord. And it would be important because that fear of the Lord would keep them uh, more pure, uh, more, more uh, filled with integrity and character. And it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to have a spillover effect here. You'll see, in fact, in fact uh, jump over to chapter 9. I just want to show you there's a phrase in chapter 9 where the topic is revisited again. And so maybe when we get to chapter 9, I'll forget to say it. So let me say it now. In chapter 9, verse 31, it says, Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. So we see this is not just a one-time thing, but we begin to see the church here had a healthy fear of God. And, and they grew. They grew numerically. They grew spiritually. But they had a fear of the Lord. And so should we. Back here in chapter 5. So Ananias and Sapphira have now died. It's been a strong lesson to the early church. And then in verse 12, back in chapter 5, verse 12, it says, The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. Okay, so the gifts of the Spirit are flowing through the apostles and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade there in Jerusalem. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Now, now notice, that's, in, that's the direct result of the fear of the God that had, had spread among the people. So people didn't just join us because they just thought, well, this would kind of be a fancy group to join. You know, because now people are noticing, if I join this group, I might be killed. So I better take this really, really seriously. Really seriously. But I love the next verse. Verse 14 says, Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. So when you take verses 13 and 14 together, what it says is that people were very serious. So not just anybody like, well, yeah, I just want to, you look like you guys have a fun thing going. We're going to join you. No, they, they, they took it very, very seriously. Nevertheless, the numbers continued to grow of the early church. I find it interesting in that, Unfortunately, it's my personal observation that I think that there's a trend in some churches where it's, it seems to be that people think that Christ will be more appealing if we dumb things down and if we water down the gospel and if we just lower the bar. And I want you to notice here that the bar got raised really high. You start messing with God, God could kill you. Take God seriously. Take this Christian faith seriously. Take your walk with Christ seriously. The bar was raised, and look, the church began to grow. So I, I'm not one of these that thinks we just need to dumb it down. I think we need to, to be loving, obviously, but we need to be serious. We need to be sober-minded, and we need to tell people the truth even when the truth hurts. And, and that's because of what Jesus said. You know, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And he means that in the most eternal, life-changing way. And we have no time to dumb down the gospel and to lower the bar, raise the bar. This is what happens here. And as they raise the bar, people took it seriously, but the church grew. The church grew because truth was being declared and the bar was being raised here. Now, it goes on here to say some, some pretty fascinating things. Verse 15, as a result, people brought the sick into the streets... And laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Isn't that incredible? That even Peter's shadow, uh, God used to perform miracles here. Verse 16, crowds gathered also from the towns 
around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, demons, and all of them were healed. So we see now the early church here and the apostles in particular, they they are filled with the Spirit. They have the gifts of the Spirit. So we see signs and wonders and miracles being performed and word gets out. Word travels fast. When people are being healed in miraculous ways. So now you got, you got people from all kinds of towns around Jerusalem bringing their sick and their demon-possessed, and all of them were healed. The book of Acts is so full of the Holy Spirit and the joy of the newly formed church. Though Jesus has left the earth for an unknown time, he didn't leave his followers alone. He gave them the same gift offered to us even now, the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. When we accept Jesus' sacrifice of love as our only hope for salvation, we automatically receive the Holy Spirit to help us as we grow in faith. Today, you too can have the Holy Spirit. We'd love to talk more with you about this. So please feel free to give us a call at 703-771-1500. If you already know Jesus, we'd still love to hear from you and be able to encourage and pray for you. Our number again is 703-771-1500. Are you in the Leesburg area? If so, come join us for our weekly services at Cornerstone Chapel. We meet each week on Sundays at 8.30, at 11.45 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Come get to know us better. Meet Pastor Gary, study the Bible, and spend time worshiping God for all he's done. Directions to Cornerstone Chapel can be found on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. With that, our time with you has come to an end for today. Join us next time to learn more about the early church in the book of Acts, right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not a Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.